Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be with you today. In fact, we're starting a new series, and I'm really excited about this new series. In fact, if I wasn't excited about this series, I would say it probably wouldn't be real. Nobody's looking at the screen right now? Right? I'm really excited about this. Are you excited about this? I'm excited about this because, hey, let me, I think that most of us don't realize how much of our time in this world is meant to be spent enjoying Enjoying the Lord, enjoying the gifts He's given us, and people, and things even. And it's not wrong to enjoy those things. Oftentimes we get told that as a Christian that we are to be all about obeying the rules and, and making sure we don't do the wrong things. And that's all true, but I think we miss the point point. we don't understand, or at least we don't have some kind of level of understanding of a theology of joy. In fact, it's something that seems to be only recently absent in most churches. I know how I grew up. I never really heard or heard many people talk about or explain how we should be living out of joy and not living in other reasons or for other purposes. I didn't hear much about joy. I didn't hear much about how joy filters into everything and undergirds everything that we're to be and do as Christians. I don't know if that's you as well, but it's one that I feel like I missed out on a lot because of that. It took a long time to come to understand that everything we are to be and everything we are to do as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to come out of just this undercurrent of joy in the Lord. In fact, one of our great Protestant confessions of faith has a question that's answered in this, this uh, statement of faith. It says, what's the chief end of man? Like, what is our ultimate purpose? And the definition they give of that or the answer they give is to glorify God. We all got that part down, right? To glorify God. The second part we don't usually think about. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I think that if we developed an understanding of the theology of joy that runs rampant through the Scriptures, it would change everything for us. I think today, if you listen in and you really understand the Scripture that we're going to look at, and you take in what it means to worship the Lord from a base of joy because of what he's done for us in Christ, it will change everything. You don't have to do your evangelism out of a desire to do so in order for God to be happy with you. It'll be because you're so filled with joy in Christ that he will just come out of you. You won't have to worry about obeying Scripture, obeying the rules, because you'll want to please the Father who has loved you so much that you want to love him back and that you enjoy him because for the joy that was set before him, his son endured the cross on our behalf. It can change everything about how you are, who you are in Christ when you understand these things. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to take a section of scripture that is actually just one long sentence, and I'm going to chop it up uh, into a couple of sermons. And so I want us to start with the first part of it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, and just the first few words of verse 6, the first few words there actually bridge the gap between two ideas, so we're going to have it this week and next week in our time together. But I want us to look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6 today, and I want us to ask some questions of ourselves. Why do I do what I do? Why do I pray? Why do I read the scriptures? Why do I obey the Lord? Those motives mean so much more than we actually like to give time to think about. And I want you to think about the question of why do I do what I do as we understand this passage today. Let me read the passage, then I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to give us the one main point that we'll come back to over and over again today to kind of flesh this out. Let's look at the scriptures together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through the first part of verse 6. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Let me pray. Father, we all too often rush into this moment. I pray right now you would slow our minds and our hearts to the pace at which you are prepared to speak to us through your word. I pray that you would remove the distractions and keep forefront the things that we need to deal with with you according to what you lead us to understand today. Would you empower us with your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and to press this truth deep into our heart and that we would be filled with joy from what we learn about who you are and what you've done and what you promised to do for us in Jesus, your son. And I ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the one main point that I want to come back to you over and over and over again today. So if you're going to write anything down, this is the one. It's the only point we're going to have on the screen I want you to be ready for this. This is going to impact everything we talk about for the next few weeks. And this is the one that I want you to really be thinking on today as you ask the question, why do I do what I do? Here you go. This is the point. Deep and abiding joy begins when we realize God has caused us to be born again. Hear me out. Listen to the text in a minute. Repeat this again for you. Deep and abiding joy begins when we realize God has caused us to be born again. I think that the reason why many of us are robbed from having our utmost joy in Christ lived out regularly is because we inadvertently, maybe accidentally, fall into a theological position that removes glory from God and puts that glorious work on ourselves, and we therefore find ourselves not in a joyful place because we don't rightly have things in their rightful place. I say that by saying this, if you have placed your hope and your ability and your morality and your ability to, to live out the Christian life, to please God in yourself, if you put that hope in you, you will fail and you will feel like a failure, and you will feel like God doesn't love you when you do that. You will feel like if others knew who you were, that they would not really love you or respect you. You will put that weight on yourself that's never meant to be carried by you. If we reorganize our understanding under the fact that God is big and we are small, if we reorganize our understanding of how we are in relationship with God, that we are utterly, daily, moment by moment, totally dependent upon Him, and that he is completely independent of any need of us, it will change everything about how you live your life. Let's look at the text together and let the word speak this out to us. You'll see that this point, deep and abiding joy, begins when we realize God has caused us to be born again. This point is right off the bat. Look with me in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 3 and on. It starts off with a blessing, and this is reminiscent of the Old Testament blessings. It's calling out to adore, to praise, blessed be God, right? He's a statement telling us this is what we should do, this is how we should live. It's just a statement to adore the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note, though, that in the Old Testament, they wouldn't use the word Father there. That's new for the New Testament, the New Covenant. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. So I don't think there's any doubt here in understanding that He is the one doing the work to make us into new believers. Amen? It's there. It's starkly there in the print. It's from the Word of God here directly to us. And the author here, Peter, is stating, Blessed be God for this thing. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Now, we struggle with this understanding because it seems to take from us part of what we want, which is our own independence in everything in our lives. It's ingrained in us from the very beginning, right? We as the people of the Democratic Republic of the United States of America, we love the fact that we are free. And we are free in so many ways, but we are not free from our sin by ourselves. We can never be freed from our sins and our own abilities to escape that sin. We need someone to overcome our sin, and the only one who can do that is the one who created us, and the only one who can do that is the one who redeemed us by sending his son to pay the price of our sin, of our guilt, of the wrath that we deserve to be absorbed onto him and into him so that we might be purchased out of that sinful slavery. This is not a new concept that Peter brings front. In fact, Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3. You know the text very well. John 3, where Nicodemus comes in the night to Jesus. We pick up the, the story in John 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And I would like to always chuckle a little bit when I see that Nicodemus comes kind of spouting off some things that are good about Jesus, and Jesus gets right to the point, right? He does that to me all the time, maybe you too. I come praying about certain things, and he redirects me immediately to other issues. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <coughs> I don't know why God does what he does, but I know over and over and over again in Scripture, we see examples of God talking about the new birth, about people being born again, and using terminology, terminology like being brought from death to life or being born again, and uses, he uses these illustrations that are, can only be done by someone besides the person on which it's being acted. You know what I'm saying? Like, whenever we have uh, had a pregnancy going on in our family and we have a baby coming, uh, that baby never just reaches out and says to mama, like, hey, I'm ready, let's go, time to go. You know, we don't ever hear that from inside the womb. Whenever there's a person that has been dead in the world that comes back to life, few and far between, it's never because they are working that of themselves, right? Lazarus in the tomb didn't just jump up and come out and say, hey, I'm back, right? Instead, what happens? God calls them forth. God makes those things happen. I think God uses those illustrations because he wants to make sure we understand this very truth that Peter gives us right here. He says, according to his great mercy, God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. 
let that sink in. Don't rush over this. You see, your joy and my joy is tied up in this truth so much so that if any bit of our souls try to take away from God's authority and sovereignty in this, what we end up doing is we remove some of his glory and put it on self to say that we accomplished that thing. But if I sit down and listen to any of your testimonies, and I've listened to a lot of them, I hear over and over and over again how God saved you and that God redeemed you. And that some of you, most of you would talk about how you were fighting it, you were walking away from it, you didn't want to hear it, you didn't want to get it, and the Lord just kept pressing himself towards you and wooed you to himself and brought you to life. Listen, I know it's a little controversial to talk about, but the scriptures are true and right when it says that God has caused us to be born again. It doesn't negate our faith. We're going to get to that in a minute. But you need to let that sit on you, and if you don't like it, you don't have to not like what I'm saying. You have to not like what the scriptures are saying. Look at this. I want us to understand this in a different way. Here's kind of a sub thing to kind of put it in different words. It is God's great mercy, not our great merit, that causes us to be born again. It's God's great mercy, not our great merit, that causes us to be born again. Look at the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. It doesn't say according to what we will do right or wrong. It doesn't say according to how good we live our lives. It doesn't say to how good we are when we're young or when we're old. It says according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I'll say it a different way. Joy comes because God has given us mercy instead of wrath. You see, we are sinners because we have rebelled against the way God created us to represent him and reflect his image out. He says we are made in his image. We are made to reflect his glory as an image, is like a mirror image, to reflect his goodness, to reflect his, to reflect his perfections, to reflect his goodness all the time. And we're made to do that. And as that glory of God is shined upon us, and then we don't live that out perfectly, we miss the mark. We fail for what we were created to do. That's why in Romans 3 it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as we've missed that mark, we understand then that there is a price for that. That we are willingly not giving God glory. We have unknowingly even not given God glory that we're made to do that. And therefore we deserve punishment by the king for those actions and inactions. And instead, God gives us mercy. When you recognize that we deserve the wrath, we deserve the condemnation, we deserve the punishment, and instead he gives us mercy, our hearts are turned to him. It draws our hearts in. Look at that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Look, joy comes because God has given us mercy instead of wrath. And joy has also come because God has given us a resurrection hope. Look at that verse again, verse 3, middle of it there. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's not just saved us from our sin. He's given us hope. And we're in a season right now when many of us are struggling with a lack of hope. When many of us are afraid of having to deal with people that we know that we don't enjoy being around. 
or maybe in a season where we are missing someone that we love very much, or maybe in a season of life where you feel like nobody really knows you or cares about you the way you yearn to be cared for, where you feel like nobody really gets you and gets the struggles you're in and can't understand, maybe because you won't open up, maybe because you do and people don't seem to understand, whatever the reason, let me tell you, you have hope in Jesus. And the reason you have hope in Jesus is because he loved you so much, knowing all those things about you, knowing all those things about you, because he knew all of that ahead of time, knew all those things about you. He died on the cross in your place so that he might extend you the mercy of God and bring you into the family and accept you in because he loves you. That is hope. It's hope that was acquired way back a couple thousand years ago, and it's hope that lives on now. That's why it refers to it as a living hope, because our Christ didn't just die 2,000 years ago. He died and rose again and still lives on even now. It's a living hope, a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you are brought into the family of God, look, that's why I think he uses the word father here to talk about this being born again and being brought into the family. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Death will have no hold. Your depression, your struggle, your hurts will have no hold on you. They cannot have a hold on you because Jesus has has taken that on the cross. Now, you might suffer in the now with those things. They will not win. They cannot win. And there's no telling how long it will last. There's no telling how long those hard days will be or those dark nights will be. But the Lord has promised, and he always fulfills his promises. And he's already won the victory and made the way possible through his death. He endured the worst of nights so that we might be brought into his family and never have to see the fullness of that. Instead, we get the fullness of the resurrection, a living hope. Hebrews 11 also, I should be back up. Romans 5, Romans 5, 1 through 2 says this about that same hope. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When you understand your situation, that you deserve the wrath, instead he, de- he just gives mercy all over you. When you deserve to be punished, when you deserve to not have the goodness of Christ, and instead he doles all of it out on you on the cross, when you see that, it turns your heart to him and you will rejoice in that truth. One of our reasons why we don't rejoice in that truth regularly is we don't go back to that gospel truth regularly. That's why we need to be a people that never, ever stop staring into the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This gospel, this good news of Jesus is what the Bible talks about that the angels long to look into for all eternity. They're amazed by it. They can't get over the fact that rebellious people, rebels that rebelled against the king have been shown mercy and that God's own son would go and become one of them and die for them so they might be brought back into the family of God. They are amazed and overwhelmed by that and they worship him for it in joy, in stunning awe. And yet we oftentimes walk around or sit or don't even think at all to think about it, and we're not overwhelmed by it at all. That shows our depravity. It shows our sinfulness. That so easily we can be taken away from the awe of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to beat us down. I'm just trying to show the severity of our need for Christ, right? And we have a living hope because of his resurrection, amen? It's something to be joyful about. 
We sing songs, we sing them with everything we have because we worship him because of what he's done for us in Christ. Look, the joy comes because God has given us mercy instead of wrath. The joy comes because God has given us resurrection hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And joy comes because God has secured an inheritance for us. Look at this, verse 3 on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen, you have not only been brought to a living hope, you have an inheritance in Christ that is beyond our wildest dreams, that is beyond our greatest hopes, one that is more than we can imagine, more than we can ever fathom in its fullness. And even when we get there, we will be overwhelmed for the rest of eternity with its greatness and its grandeur and its splendor and its beauty and its joy that fills us. And we don't have to wait until then to taste of it now. We can taste and see that the Lord is good because of what he's done for us already. You can have joy in the Lord right now because of that. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. It's talking about those who have gone and died before us, that have come before all the heroes of the faith that we talked about that were really screw-ups that we call heroes, right? Abraham, Moses, all these folks, right? Just like us. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Do we live like we are strangers and exiles here? That's what you do when you're a stranger and an exile here. You act like this is not your home. Yet we make this our home all too quickly and become disappointed and disillusioned with the home we put our hopes in instead of setting our hopes on our home with the Lord, right? He goes on. He says, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We see that city coming down in Revelation verse, chapter 19, right? It's the city, the new city, the new Jerusalem descends. But this inheritance, while it is a place, is more than just a place, right? Jesus talks about this inheritance in Matthew 19, verse 28 and 29. He says, he says them, truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, he says to his disciples, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will, be, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That inheritance is not just a place, it's the life we get to live eternally with the Lord. That is our inheritance. It's even more than that, I would argue. But let's talk about a few of these things it says in the scriptures. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. To an inheritance that is imperishable or immortal, right? The reason it's immortal is because the one who has made it ready for us is immortal. And that we were created to live forever, to be with him forever. It will go on and on and on and never end because God has set forth for it to be that way. He's created us for that forever. It's an inheritance that is not only immortal and imperishable, but one that is undefiled. Here and now, we have to live in a world that is broken, that is marred with our sinfulness, that everything we look at, everything we enjoy has problems and issues. Everything we put our hopes in will eventually fail us at some level. But there, with him, forever, it's unstained by our sin. It's pure. It's with him with joy without anything to distract from that joy. Total, utmost satisfaction. 
If you were to go to heaven, if there were days and nights, they're not in Scripture. If you were to go to be with the Lord and you would get there, you'd be filled with joy like the biggest and best drug ever and overwhelmed with the greatest high you could ever imagine. And then as you would go to bed that night, if that were the case, you would wake up at that same level of high and the next day you would go even further, that again. And the next day, the same again and again and again, never ever ending in the amount of joy that you received, just always increasing in its infiniteness because we serve an infinite God who gives us his infinite love and overwhelms us with that even now. You can have that today. Right now, you can begin to enjoy that right now. You don't have to wait for them to start enjoying it. Right now, you can enjoy him because of what he's done and made a way for you in Jesus. Why do we put that off? Why should we get so distracted by the things why should we get so distracted with, with the life's mistakes and choices and let the blood of Christ wash that away that we might enjoy him for what he's done for us on the cross? Amen? Man, this is what we're made for. And look, it's not only imperishable and undefiled, but it is unfading. There is nothing in this world right now that is not unfading. Everything is unfading. Everything. I'm sorry, it's fading. Not unfading. Everything is fading around us. Everything. We are born, and the moment we are born, we move our way towards death because of sin. The flowers that are so beautiful will die. The leaves, which were so grandiosely green, turn to other colors which are beautiful and then die and fall off the tree, right? Everything is fading except for the love of Christ for us in our place on the cross. And in in eternity, that love and that grace and that mercy and that overwhelming awe of who he is and what he's done for us will never fade. It will forever be. It is beautiful and never-ending, never-ending. And not only that, this is, this is one of the best parts to me. It is kept for us by God. Look at that next part, verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, kept by who? Is it kept by you or by the Lord? By the Lord. He's the one doing all the acting in this thing so far. We are only passive recipients up to this point undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our inheritance is secure because of God's power through the faith that he gives us. Look with me. Read verse 5. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, for you, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, that's talking about us, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is secure because of God's power through the faith that he gives us to believe in him. Now, look, I'll put it in these parts. We have a part to play. Here's our part to play. It's through faith. We are to act, live, breathe in faith in everything we do. In fact, I'll say it like this. Our part to play is persevering in the faith. The thing that you and I are to do is to persevere in the faith. Now, I'm going to turn that around a little bit to understand how we do that in just a moment. But let me just say it again. Our part to play is persevering in the faith. Thomas Schreiner, who's a Southern Baptist professor and expert in biblical interpretation, talking about this passage, he says, The text does not merely say, however, that believers are protected by God to receive a salvation. Peter added that believers are protected through faith. Obtaining the final inheritance, therefore, does not bypass human beings as if we are mere automatons in the process. Believers must exercise faith to receive final salvation. Faith here is continuing trust or faithfulness. Peter did not conceive of faith as a single isolated act. 
Genuine faith persists until the day of redemption. And brothers and sisters, this is our problem a lot of the times, is that we remember the time we prayed a prayer or got baptized and we believed on the Lord in that moment. But we don't understand that our faith must continue to the end. Our faith is something that we live in every day, that we get up and decide in the morning, am I going to believe this truth to be real or not? Now, thankfully, we have the grace and forgiveness of God when we don't live that out, if we are in Christ, but you will persevere in that faith, in that belief of who Jesus is, and it will come out of you in how you live. This is what all the rules are about. They point us to know whether or not we're living in faith. It's not to get us into heaven by obeying the rules. It's to say, are you living out your faith? This shows you if you are. Are you loving the Lord right now or are you loving the things of the earth more? Are you loving the Lord right now or are you loving self over that? These things point us to understand if we're walking in that faith. Jesus talks about it, Matthew 24, verse 9 through 14. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You hear that? The one who endures to the end. How do you know that you're a Christian? Well, you put your hope and faith in Jesus. How do you know that you're really going to be saved? Because you endure to the end. That's how you know. That's your evidence of salvation. So endure, brothers and sisters. Put your faith and hope in the one who has done it all for you. And according to his great mercy, you have been born again. And he gives you faith, and through your faith, you have been secured in that. And our faith is secured, not because of your ability, not because of your power, because of the power of God. Look at that verse again. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our faith is secure because of the power of God. Listen, Ephesians 1 says this, 11 through 14. In him... We have obtained an inheritance in Jesus, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Now, I will stand here all day long and say that if you are a believer in Christ, you will endure to the end because he holds you, because he holds you in his power. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. The question comes, if if you say you're a believer and you walk away from that faith, you couldn't have been a believer in the first place because you would have been guaranteed the inheritance according to the Holy Spirit. Do we understand? So if you question self, you need to say, it's not as God loved me. It's not, am I doing enough? It's have I been sealed by the powerful working of God according to his Holy Spirit who's been placed within me to be his? That's where you put your hope, in the Lord. He's the one that causes us to be born again, right? We believe on him. We work out our salvation in fear and trembling before him because we are in awe of him because of what he has done for us on the cross because he has sent his son to die for us according to his great mercy, so we might be brought into the family of God. But it's according to his work, not our own. And the more we see that it's his work, the more we see that he's the one doing all the heavy lifting, the more we see that he's the one that deserves the glory, the more we see that he's the one that alone deserves all the praise, that we will say along with these folks from the church that Peter's talking to, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy have we been born again. Deep and abiding joy begins when we realize that God has caused us to be born again. 
It changes everything. And when you wake up in the morning and realize you can't do it, but the Lord's done it for you in Jesus, it turns your heart back to him again. See, this is what it means, right, to have that faith. That faith is not holding strong and willing out some heavy faith. The faith is saying, I can't, I'm unable, and turning our eyes to Jesus and saying, but he's already done it for me. Thank you, Lord. Help me to live in that truth today, Lord. I depend on you today, Lord. Right now in this moment of struggle and temptation, I depend on you right now, Lord. I need you right now, Lord. And when you experience the grace of God in overcoming sin in those moments, when you experience the grace of God in him revealing again to you his love for you, it overwhelms all those other desires and fills you with the love of God, and you enjoy him, and he begins to come out of you as you worship him. Whether you be amongst others, that's what we call evangelism, or whether you be amongst no one else but you and the Lord in your time alone with him. Turn your eyes back to the Lord. I'm going to take it a step further, and we'll be ending right here. That joy, that deep and abiding joy that begins when we realize that God has caused us to be born again, that joy comes when we realize our hope and our inheritance is not only wrought by God, but our hope and our inheritance is God himself. It's God himself. It's not getting to a new city. It's not getting to a new land. It's getting to be in the presence of the one who loves us so much he would give his only son for us. And be in presence of the son who died for us on the cross. To be in the presence of the Spirit and the Father and the Son all together for all of eternity. That's what our inheritance is. It wouldn't matter where it might be or how it might look. It sh- we shouldn't be caught up on what it's going to look like and what we get to do, except that we get to sit around the Lord and enjoy Him forever. Forever. Look, God is the end of the gospel. God is our inheritance. Jesus is our joy. Or He is not our Savior. Like, this is the hard thing that we have to understand. If we don't enjoy him now, why do we think that we'll ever enjoy him then? If we don't enjoy him right now, if we don't find our joy in him, how do we think we'll ever, ever enjoy him then? We see him through a, a mirror dimly, and we can't enjoy the, 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 the rays of glorious grace that we see in him now. How can we think we'd enjoy him when we're overwhelmed by him? It's not possible for you to enjoy him only there, only then my question, brothers and sisters, why do you do what you do? Is it because you see the grace that God has provided for you in Jesus and you enjoy him now? Or is it because you're trying to earn your way? If that's the case, let us repent and believe on Christ this morning. Let us put our hope and our faith in Christ alone this morning for the joy of our King and for the joy of us, his church, and hopefully for the lives and souls that might be saved as we sing of his glory as we leave this place. Listen, your deep and abiding joy that you can have in Christ, it begins when you realize that God has caused you to be born again. Let us live out this truth. And if you've never come to faith and believed in him before, today's the day. You are not here by accident. If he caused you to believe, if he's caused some of us to believe, today he is appointed for you to hear this message and this gospel that you might put your hope and faith in him and believe in him now for salvation that you might be his forever and enjoy him forever. Would you join us and enjoy him forever? Be a part of a family of God that he has brought you into when we don't deserve it, that all of us are falling short, yet he loves us anyway. I pray you'll put your hope and faith in him. I'm going to pray for us now. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, for your goodness, and most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that as you work in our hearts that you would receive the glory as we are changed more into his image 
that we reflect your glory rightly and that people would come to know you because of our worship of you as we enjoy you. Lord, this season, as we celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus, would you push deep into our hearts what it means that we have been saved and been born again and brought to faith because of you. And Lord, in the faith you give us, help us believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.